Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the OK What's Next podcast with Jason Van Ruler. Today, I'm talking with Rebecca Lyons. Now, you've probably heard of her, but if you haven't, I'll tell you, she is an author. She's a podcaster. She's got a great podcast with her husband called Rhythms for Life Podcast. She also does retreats. She kind of does it all. She's really inspirational. So I think you're going to love this episode. Check it out. Welcome back to another episode of the OK What's Next podcast with Jason Van Ruler. Today, I am talking with Rebecca Lyons, who is a national speaker and best-selling author. And I'm thrilled to talk to her because she's also great at journals and organizations. So I'm hoping to learn a lot today. Thanks for being on, Rebecca. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been excited to talk to you. I know you have so much stuff going on. But for the people who might not know about some of your work or what you've been up to, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, let's see. To begin, I have four children, ages ages 20 all the way down to seven. So three bio kids that are 20, 18, almost 16, and then a seven-year-old we adopted a couple years ago from China. So my oldest and my youngest have a Down syndrome diagnosis, so we call them our bookends, which means I hold that loosely, but I really feel like in my mid-40s, I feel like we're good. We're full. (laughs) And my husband and I have been married 23 years and we co-founded a nonprofit. I know you didn't say like, what do you do? But you know, when you introduce yourself, it tends to kind of go with like handles. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But we started a nonprofit about just engaging culture, kind of like what are the tensions of our day and how do we walk through that with confidence and hope and leadership and faith. So that's really kind of what we do in our nine to five job, but I also am a writer and that just turned into its own thing. So I've written for about a decade now, several books, studies, planner and journal you just mentioned. And I'm finding I was, I quote unquote, call myself like a late bloomer. I didn't write my first book until I was 37 or six or something like that. And so you were really old uh, at that time. Yeah. I'm so old. I am. I'm just like not even half a century yet, but you know, But I'm with you. We always feel like we have to do it early, right? It's like, well, I got to do this in my 20s somehow, or I have to make it by then. And and you really don't, actually. No, you don't. And honestly, I think there's something to be said for waiting. You know, you can use full sentences and not just emojis for starters when you're writing, you know, which is helpful. Find some people, but I'm with you. I agree. Yes. Well, (laughs) it's helpful when you actually are working with a publisher. They're like, I can't pay you to shorten in real life to IRL, like you've got to actually spell it out. I'm sorry. Got to be content here. Yeah. Yeah. And I I joke my kids who are teens that I like books by dead people because those are the people who form like full thoughts and like full thesis statements where you could like follow a narrative arc for a whole 200 pages and you really got somewhere. Now there are great books, obviously by alive people too. But I'm just saying there's something about the ability of somebody who wrote a book 100 years ago that cuts through the noise of today. It kind of takes you, almost teleports you into like critical thinking and like a meta level, like bird's eye view of society or whatever it is you're studying. And I'm a context junkie, so I love that. And that informs my writing. Yeah, well, I'm with you. I think on the books, I like to be challenged to read a book. There's plenty of books and they're easy reads and that's great. And there's certainly a time for that, but I'm kind of with you. Like I like some of the older books where you got to sit down and like work on it. You know, you can't just Mm -hmm. knock it out in an hour or two. Like it requires some thought. Yeah. 
Yeah, we can do hard things, Jason. We can read a whole book, especially the ones that you almost have to kind of reread a paragraph over and you're like, whoa, okay, let me unpack that. When I have to redo that, now I can't do it for the whole thing because then it, we would just fatigue and it would be exhausting. Yeah, it's when like, you're like is too, 200 pages this is, of that. Yeah, this is too uphill for me. But when you have that nugget that you resonate with and you're like, I get this. This is how I feel, but I've never had words for Who is this person? Where did they come from? That's giving me language for my inner ache or my angst or whatever. Then that'll keep us coming back for more. It will help us dig a little deeper. And honestly, the whole goal of reading, I mean, I didn't mean to come on with like my reading This is great though. I like this. Is growth. Come on, like if you're not growing, you are dying. You absolutely are dying. Your dreams are dying. Your future relationships and opportunities are dying. Your hope and confidence is dying because you actually aren't learning and growing and you can't just stay complacent. Eventually, if you stay complacent long enough, Comfortville will take over and you will not go after the things that you were meant to go after or even see or realize some things that were intended. Actually, I believe very much in scripture, it says in Psalm 139 that all our days were written in his book and planned before one of them began. Like there is an intention that when he crafted us with birthright gifts that are from him, meaning there are gifts that we birthright, like kind of is effortless for us. It's in our DNA, you know, like, yeah, you just go ahead and own it. Some people can put a bunch of ingredients in a bowl and like make something amazing without a recipe. That's not me. That's somebody else's birthright gift. Have at it. But for me, my birthright gift is something about story and context and words and phrasing. It almost becomes cadence and lyric because I grew up a musician. When I say it out loud, I just know it and I hear it. I'm like, this is it. And everyone's got their own thing. But when you tap into that, God's going, not only did I give you the gift to use, I actually gave you a journey in which to use it. I gave you a plan. There's there's a place to go with it. Yeah, there's a purpose with it. When did you know that? So I'm so curious, when did you kind of have this realization or is it something you would say you always knew about yourself is that this is who you are? I was called Becca Book as a kid. We didn't have a TV because my parents were teachers. And of course they thought TVs would rot our brains. So thanks, mom. Seriously. No, I'm not that old. I wasn't like born in the forties. So I remember in fourth grade having a slumber party, my very first one. And we had to go to the public library and rent a screen projector, you know, like those reels with like the tape, we had to project it onto the wall. And this isn't like, like a new cool in-home theater. This was just like, we got to check that thing out for 24 hours for free. And all my friends were like, wow, this is so amazing and so cool. And I think we probably watched Old Yeller or something like that. And I was like, nope, it's actually not really that cool, but hey, I'll take it. It's a way to watch something instead of read because I basically read like my portals to other worlds were books. And so I just read everything I could get my hands on from first grade to high school and didn't know though then I was a musician more. I played trumpet, piano, marching band, symphonic, jazz, youth symphony, just whatever. Give me something to do basically. And it wasn't until later in life, I was 32 and my mom was pushing my son on a swing, my second son, my middle child. And she was like, I always thought you'd write while she's pushing him on a swing. And I was like, what? That would have been super helpful in college when I was picking a major. Like that's really what I thought. 
But interestingly, though, I did major in communications, PR, whatever. And then it kind of morphed into a like a broader brush of communications, which included speech classes and layout and topography and all kinds of things, which I now use. But at the time, I would have never dreamed of like, you're going to write and it's going to be published. Like that was just like head explosion. I never thought all those years of reading that I would get to write one of those kind of books. You know what I mean? Like it's just not even at all in my wheelhouse. And then she yeah. just so casually says, oh, I just always thought you'd do that. And for you, was that kind of that catalytic moment of, oh, well, yeah, I guess I could. Or did, did it take a little bit of time after she said that? So if I was 32 and I didn't write until I was 37, so five years. So really the catalytic event that caused all that to happen was about three years later. In fact, I'll never forget this. Our life coach, Pete Richardson, my husband had met with him in our 20s. He would kind of check in with us. But he helps people kind of find their calling. And he takes you through a couple day journey of like, what are those birthright gifts? What are those passions? What are those dreams? What's your natural bent? What's the thing in your heart that you don't want to go to the grave with a song unsung, right? Like Thoreau says, you want to make sure you live this one life well. And I remember Gabe saying, hey, you're turning 35. I want to send you out to Denver to meet with Pete so you can get a calling. He's like, you've raised three babies, diapers, Cheerios, and poop for a decade. Like, let's figure out, remember what Rebecca, who she was prior to all of that. And I remember I was at Ted's Montana Grill eating a massive bison burger. And I stopped mid-bite and I was like, I don't want a calling. I want a piano. And so instead, he went on Craigslist for my 35th birthday and bought me a piano. I think what was funny is like that piano actually brought back, like recovered something of my youth. And then my kids started taking piano lessons. And it it took me back to that girl who was very, very curious, would never shrink back from any opportunity or ability to learn, try new things, learning something new, working with her hands, like that's just what we were as a family. I learned to sew and you name it. We made like felt ornaments for Christmas gifts for everybody and our like extended family and our entire church of like, I don't know, we probably made 50 of those every, like we'd always just did that kind of stuff. And so I think the piano, while I was running from this ethereal idea of calling, what I really was hearkening back to though, once I got the piano, it was like, oh, I was actually recovering some dreams of my youth. And what that then began was an onset of realizing once we moved to New York City a year later, and finally I did break down and meet with Pete, that I was like, you know what? I've actually always processed life, hardship, pain, struggle, longing, loss, whatever through words. And I would do it in a journal or I'd remember when the kids were little, I'd go downstairs on my laptop if I was awake in the middle of the night and just get it out on a laptop. Because writing was so cathartic. It was like free therapy, let's be honest. And we didn't have money for therapy. So I was just like, get it out, excavate the heart, figure out what's going on in there. And the process of doing that, there'll be some self-discovery. There'll be some insight from God. that'll just kind of help you land the plane. So it wasn't until we get to New York City a couple of years later, I start to have panic attacks for about a year and a half, get to the end of like what I thought, you know, just the end of myself. And then God used that season to almost birth like a burden in me for people struggling with mental health, my own family, my father had struggled with that, a son with special needs and giving me words to actually articulate what that feels like or what those people are walking through or what I was walking through. And that really was the genesis of the first book, 
was just the crash and burn of mental health, even in the church space. Like nobody was really writing about that yet. And it was a memoir, but it was very much gut honest. Like, here's what it's like to walk through panic disorder for a year and a half. And here's depression and anxiety. And then seeing even this in a generational sense. And what does God have to say about this? And where is he? I think you don't ever write until you have something to say. So when that time came, it just, it happened to come at 37 and I couldn't have orchestrated it prior to that or after that. It just, it's like the appointed time. And I think that's why I love so much this idea of calling or purpose is that as long as you're available and you're open to wherever the path that life takes you on, and you're not trying to be really resistant and controlling, usually those whispers of calling surface themselves and you have a choice to make. Are you going to step into those things? Or are you going to shrink back? And I think we all have that opportunity. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we mistakenly think that we have to pursue a calling and be someone else or someone different. And what I hear in your story, which is I think something that happens often is we just remember who we used to be or remember kind of this part of ourselves that we forgot that was maybe a really beautiful part, but got covered up by experience or trauma or things like that. And so that's a lot of what I hear in your story is just this willingness to kind of uncover some of that stuff and look at it and go, oh yeah, actually I do remember who I wanted to be when I grow up. Yeah. You know, what's funny is there's a book called Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. It's my favorite book. It came out in 2000. I was a decade late reading it in 2010 when I was walking through this panic attack season. But he said early in the book, he said, we all come into this world with birthright gifts, but early on we abandoned them or others disabuse them. Meaning people are like, oh, that's not a real calling. Like you should go do the responsible thing and be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. So we all come into this world with birthright gifts, but early on we abandon them or others disabuse them. But if we are aware and awake and able to admit our loss, we'll spend the second half of our lives recovering the gifts we've always possessed. And that was really inspiring to me because I was kind of in that midlife reset moment. And I was like, I want to recover. I want to recover those gifts. Because I agree. I don't think calling is this elusive, ethereal thing that like floats above you and is going to land on your head one day. I think it's already in you because it was knit in you with intention from the creator himself. And it brings God so much joy and delight to watch us waken to what he's seen all along and what he intended all along. Yeah, just to kind of realize that. Yeah, so part of it's just recovering what's always been there and, you know, doing the work to figure that out. Yeah, that's the tricky part, that whole work thing. I don't know how I feel about that, but you're right. That I think that's a key component in it is, is doing the work and having the willingness to go there. Yeah. And just paying attention, right? Like one time I would be with friends and I would like when certain friends, when they start to talk about something that might be in their lane, they kind of get like crazy eyes and they get all animated and excited. And I'm like, you should pay attention to that because you seem really passionate about it. Why? And so then the next question is always like, why? Why is this such a thing for you? And then there's always story attached to it. So it's personal, right? It's not just coincidence that you're made for something and that your life has some whispers of that or reflection of that. So for me, I kind of gave framework around this in the stuff I've written on calling is the idea that calling is where those talents and those burdens collide. So those talents are the birthright gifts that we just talked about, but the burdens are informed by your personal story, your life journey, your family of origin, the story that you were walked into and through throughout life. 
the things that broke your heart, the things that make you weep, that keep you up at night, whatever those things, that's like all part of this idea of burden. And so when you think about using what's been there all along and uncovering those things again to help redeem those things along the way that have broken your heart or seemed like injustices or things that you've had to endure, persevere through, or overcome, therein lies calling. So then you all of a sudden you've got pain over here that becomes purpose when it's used with your natural gifts. And so for me, because my story throughout life was just watching my dad struggle with mental health midlife in the same way that I began to struggle with it in midlife. And then also at 26, giving birth to a son with a Down syndrome diagnosis that what was really hard was that there was more than just that. It was a severe version of something that kind of looked under the spectrum, whereas IQ was very, very low and just going to raise a lot of challenges. So I'm like sandwiched between two men that have some mental struggle. And then I'm personally experiencing that. And then also, but the Lord's given me words and language to articulate around that burden. So then all of a sudden I begin to write on mental health which was kind of this culmination of birthright gifts and burden. And so I think for all of us, if you unpack what you do, you probably could connect the dots. Sometimes we don't always unpack and step back or have someone like a life coach or someone in our life kind of point those things out. But passion means to suffer. The root of the word passion means to suffer. So it means that if you're passionate about something, you have probably had to endure something in that lane. So pay attention to that is all I have to say is like, have the people in your life get honest with each other. Like, cause I think our friends could tell so much about us. <laughs> they know us better right? than we know ourselves sometimes. They're, yeah. They're like, that's actually something that you're really, that just comes really easy for you. Like for me, public speaking comes so easy, but I would have never thought that. Imagine that first time I ever spoke publicly, I said, this is the first and last time I will ever do this. Like it sounds like what a person would say. Yeah. I declared it right out of the gate. And then about a couple months in, I was like, wow, I actually come alive in this. I would have not imagined that. But then just having people kind of affirm that. And then also you doing that for them. Like, hey, when you do that, like there's like a grace on you for that. Like you just do it so well. And the beauty of that is God's so creative that no two of us need to look alike. So we don't have to go take what somebody else is doing really well and try to replicate it. We just go, God, will you help me uncover what's effortless for me, which just is kind of me walking in the flow of my gifting and bring me somebody that can help me see something, maybe if I'm too close to it, to see it. I think sometimes we look at ourselves through the mirrors, like in the fun house, right? And they're kind of skewed and, and we grow up that way. And so we need those people in our life to actually hold up the real mirror which I think God does best, but friends are a close second sometimes and say, this is what it actually looks like. This is where you really get excited or come alive, or this is maybe a pain point for you, but we don't always yeah. see it without that. I don't right. think. Right. No, I agree. I agree. That's why we need each other. You can't create an isolation. Absolutely. So you have all these realizations. You decide I'm a writer. I always have been, and you just kind of hit the ground running and you've written some books. You've done a lot of things. What are you working on now? What's next for you? Well, I get bored easily. I don't know if other people are that way. I just like a new challenge. So I'm still writing, but I'm working now on just the formulation. So it takes me about three years to really from concept to research, to writing, to editing, to launch. If I'm in, I'm all in. I don't just throw these things out there. I have to have lived it. 
So I'm working on a new message, a new kind of concept, and it's really just so at the genesis of it. I'm not going to share much, but just kind of endurance, honestly, perseverance and long suffering. I think so much we talk a lot about like how to get on the other side of something. We're just like, give me the silver bullet, like the magic pill. And really just some of the strongest people I've ever met are the ones who have the ability to endure. I think of Viktor Frankl. I don't know. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that meaning comes from three things that he would define your work, your love and your bravery and suffering. And I kind of want to gloss over that suffering part. I'm kind of like, I don't know. I think that one's optional. I think that's the optional one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want that. I want everything to be glossy and perfect and happy all the time. And I just think in COVID and in my mental health work over the last decade and just having now two kids with a Down syndrome diagnosis because our younger one we adopted, you know, and just caring for our parents and grandparents and just realizing, you know, there's a gift and a grace in all of it. And if we just want like the shiny moments, we're going to miss the depth and the fullness of life itself and just honoring all of it. We can all write live your best life books, but you can't live your best life unless you're actually willing to really engage the hard with the hard moments of that as well. That's really well said. I mean, I love Viktor Frankl. I, I love kind of the existential beliefs and, and all of that stuff. So I couldn't agree with you more. I think something that's really hard to do for us is to sit with someone that's suffering and to just be present in that. And like you said, man, we run for the hills. I remember when I first became a therapist, I was like, holy moly, I did not know it involved this. Mm-hmm. And it does. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes yeah. the most growth and healing comes out of that just being present either for ourselves or somebody else. But yeah. it's difficult. That's really tough to do. My first book, I remember I wanted the subtitle to be a breathtaking journey toward a life of surrender. And I remember I published like, nobody wants to surrender. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, that sounds really positive. That sounds great. Yeah. So we changed it to a breathtaking journey toward a life of meaning. And what the reader didn't know until they got in the book is that meaning follows surrender. <laughs> yeah, we always have to kind of be led into that stuff because we like, don't want to go there on okay. our own. It's true. But really, you think about the healing journey. Healing always begins like real like transformation begins after we've kind of quit striving to prove something. When we've kind of just gone, all right this is what it is. I need to get settled with it. I need to get comfortable with it. Parker Palmer says something like I'm quoted him twice. I didn't mean to, but here we are. He talks about even with depression, like you have to get all the way down to find the bottom with which you can stand. When you take something hard all the way down, you actually find your legs and you realize you actually have the strength to keep standing and to keep going. When we avoid the bottom or we avoid pain or we just like kind of spin through life on like a hamster wheel, we don't actually grow the fortitude or the confidence to endure. We become very fearful people. We're driven and consumed by fear, which I think COVID has done this. I think we have such a ridiculous fear of dying that we aren't even living. I mean, come on. We can't go anywhere. We can't see anybody. We can't talk to anybody. I mean, granted, this is shifting, thankfully. But for a good long while, we're so terrified of the idea of dying that we can't live. And I understand there's restrictions. I'm not trying to like be a big rebel or whatever. But the ideology behind that is a shrinking back from a robust life. 
because we're so afraid of what will happen if we actually had to face something hard. And I'm just thought about that. I kind of really think the fullness of joy comes on the other side of pain. I absolutely 100% believe that. And I think we're missing out. We were not going to jump in the deep end of the pool because we just don't even want to know, but we'll never actually find the freedom on the other side of it. Yeah. And it's wild because most of us can swim. If we would go to the deep end, we'd find most of us were capable of swimming or someone's over there to help us with that. But like you said, we just kind of tread water our whole life. And then we get that weird itch when we start to get a certain age where we feel like we haven't done everything yet. Right. And I think a lot of that's related to the fact that we haven't really gone to the deep end. We haven't really leaned into that fear and discomfort. And then when you do, you have the courage to keep going. Like the minute you've jumped in, you're like, well, I'm in. So like at some point it's sink or swim, right? Like, and then you find your legs work and your arms work. And there's people on the side, like holding out like their hand and you realize, well, there's a whole bunch of cool, deep, rich relationships over here in the deep end. And I've all of a sudden just grew like a very healthy dose of confidence. We can do this. We're stronger than we actually realize. I'm excited about that, especially in the mental health space, because I do think there comes a helplessness and like a dependency and a codependency in the mental health conversations because we forget we're actually made to overcome. And I just think I'm here as a mama, like old enough now I'm 40. I'm kind of as a mama going, you are stronger than you even know. Let's put on our big girl pants and let's talk about overcoming. So that's where we're going. I love that. That's what's next. I love that. I annoy my clients all the time as a therapist because I tell them my goal, it's the weirdest job in the world, but my goal is to have them fire me. And they always look at me and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it's a very Mm -hmm. strange job to want to get fired. But like, if I do it well, you'll move on and that'll be amazing. But they're like, well, I don't think this is how this works. I just, you know, I kind of want to just talk about the surface stuff. But yeah, to your point, doing the hard work means we move forward. We grow. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could talk to you for hours. So I really appreciate today just kind of getting into some of how this works for you and why it's important. I will post links to your stuff and I'm sure we'll be on the lookout for your next project because it's going to be great. So I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate you being on today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jason. All right. Thank you. you. Hey, everyone. Jason Van Ruler here again. Wanted to check in and just say I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. At the end of every interview, I sit down for a couple of minutes with my journal and my pen, and I write down what I took away from that. And I have to tell you, I mean, this season, I have taken away so much. It's just like I'm learning. This is like a huge education for me. And so I hope it is for you, too, and that you're enjoying the show so far. If you are, now might be a good time for me to tell you a little bit about my goal for 2021, which is to help a 1,000 people realize their what's next. And so if you're like me and you want to help other people do that, I'd ask, could you leave a positive review if you're liking the show or subscribe or even maybe share that? I think the more that we share this information and get it out, the more people see that they can do it too. Lastly, thanks for listening. This show has been such a blessing in my life. I could not have imagined how this would have gone in this journey. And so I just thank you for being part of it. Mm -hmm.